Gal. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. This is episode 12. My name is David Vignola. Thank you so much for joining me. This week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the studio biz and why we love our day jobs. What? What do you mean, Dave, why we love our day jobs? Well, we're going to answer a question in the mailbag right at the front of the episode, and we're going to talk a little bit about why we love our day jobs and how that relates to your home studio business. And I'm going to give you five reasons to quit, not quit, not quit, five reasons not to quit your day job, at least not yet. So get a pad, get a pen, take some notes, get yourself a nice cool drink or a nice hot cup of coffee, and join me for Why We Love Our Day Jobs right here on the HomeRecordingMadeEasy.com podcast. Okay, welcome back. Welcome to episode 12 here at the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Thank you so much for coming back and joining me for another episode. So this week, we're going to put the mailbag at the top of the episode because this question will lead in to what we're going to talk about this week, why we love our day jobs. Again, this is part of the studio biz portion of this podcast. Let's talk about day jobs. So here's the mailbag. We're going to start with the mailbag. This came in from a student of mine, James Fusco. Now, this is a pretty... Fairly, I should say, common question that I get every few months. I get this from someone who's either a student or someone who isn't a student, just follows me on YouTube and they ask me this question. Anyhow, let's read this question from James. Here's the question Hey, Dave, well, I finally made the decision to follow my dreams and have my studio be my full time business. I've had it with working for someone else. And as the saying goes, we're not getting any younger. I am 42 years old and I have toyed around in my studio for years on the weekends, but now it's time to start this business. Any advice on how to make my dream a reality? I so want to just pull the trigger and hand in my resignation letter next week and just do this. What are your thoughts? Thank you and wish me luck. James Fusco. James, first of all, I want to congratulate you on finally making the decision in your life to follow your dreams. Yes, you're 42. Yes, I'm a little older than that, <laughs> but we're not getting any younger. You're absolutely right. So if you have a passion and you have a talent and you have a skill set and you want to do something, it takes a lot of nerve and a lot of courage to just make that career change. So I want to congratulate you on even getting to that point. Um, and then before I give you five reasons why we want to keep our day jobs, and I want to heavily recommend that to anyone, I want to talk a little bit about how I kind of got started and give you a little bit of my story of going from working part-time in a studio, having a real job like James, to eventually pulling the trigger and going full-time. Okay, so the first thing I want to say, James, without knowing any of the details about your personal life, and it's not my job to know that, but I want to make sure you understand something. I do not recommend that you somehow or anyone somehow just willy-nilly makes a decision. I'm tired of my job. I hate my boss. I hate this. This sucks. I'm going to do it. I'm really good at what I do. I'm going to jump in the deep end of the pool and I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to make a bunch of money. Okay, so let's let's back up a little bit. Okay, you want to make sure before you do that, that you're prepared. So let me talk to you a little bit about what I did. So I've been working, this is 2020. We're in June 2020 as I sit here and record this podcast episode. Um, I've been working in the studio, in the music industry and in the studio business since about 1997, okay? I was, uh, just like many of you probably, was a musician, still am a musician, but playing in bands, so on and so forth. And I was the guy who learned how to record the band's demos so we can get club gigs and all that stuff. And we would pay 
um, for studio time back in those days to go into a studio, a real recording studio for four or five hours, cut a demo. And I found the, um, the process of audio engineering and recording very fascinating, sitting behind a large format console, using all kinds of outboard gear. This is really before you know, Pro Tools and those kinds of things, although they existed, the home studio environment was still in the very infant stages and it wasn't cost effective and the technology really didn't exist to easily, and I, you know, hyphenate or air quote that word easy, easily, record your band in a home studio like it is today. So we paid for studio time. And when I got into that control room, I just fell in love with it and said, boy, I really love this. I enjoyed the engineering side more than I in enjoyed the playing side, okay? So that's how I kind of got... The bug kind of bit me. And that's how that story is very common for a lot of you and a lot of people. And so I wanted to eventually learn how to do all that stuff. And I wanted to, whoa, I want to work in the studio business. Now, at that time, again, I was just like James. I was working a regular corporate job. I was working in a manufacturing, medical manufacturing company for years, since the time that I graduated from high school around 1989 to about 1998, which is about, what, eight, nine, 10 years, I was working in manufacturing, started off as a laborer on, a, on an assembly line, eventually worked my way up to frontline leadership out on the shop floor, eventually working my way up to a, um, a department manager and then an operations manager. And I was in the middle to middle upper management by about that 1998 time, making a good salary. So I was working in corporate America. Benefits, <laughs> retirement plans, some companies' pension plans, making a good amount of money, okay, before I was married with kids. And so I wanted to, you know, eventually move into the studio business. I wanted to learn how to record. I wanted to do all those things. But I was making a really good, really good bit of coin. I was working in manufacturing for all those years, in, in management, no less, and I had a bright future ahead of me. But I didn't really like the work. The work, after about 10 years, got very uh, mundane, got very uh, repetitive, got very, uh, you know, in companies and large companies, when you're in middle management or upper management, it's very political. Um, it's, you know, it's more politics than it is actually getting things done. And it just wore me down to the point where I said at that time, how old was I? 1998, I don't know. I was, uh, what, 38 years old? Something like that. No, 38. <laughs> I don't know, 28. <laughs> anyway, 1998, I was uh, still a young man. And so I decided I can't do this until I'm 65 years old. I'll have a heart attack related to stress uh, long before that. And I decided then I had to get out and I wanted to do something. And I loved music. And I was playing in bands and learning how to record and was in the recording studio making the demos. And I just fell in love with it. But how do you make that transition? How do I make the transition from leaving you know, a good amount of money, you know, we're not talking about a $25,000 a year corporate gig. We're talking about, you know, at that in those days, you know, getting up into that, you know, fifty-five dollars to $75,000 a year mark, which back in those days for a guy in his late 20s, that's a lot of money. Back then, you know, it was a good amount of money. How do you do that? How do you go from that to working full-time in a studio? Well, back in those days, again, the, the the days of getting an internship at a studio, and if you get an internship at a local recording studio, you work for free, um, or they pay you very, very little money. And there wasn't a lot of studios in my area. I live in the East Coast in Connecticut, and there's not a lot of recording studios. There was the one that we actually recorded the demo at for my band, and I was able to uh, talk to them, and I was able to get, I wouldn't say an internship, but they let me come in and observe and help. They didn't pay me on nights and on the weekends, because again, I was single at the time. And I can learn the craft that way. And that's how I started working in the studio, making sure this was something that I was going to like. And really at that time, 
not really the plan to leave my day job to do this full time because I didn't even know how that was possible. Again, the home recording technology really wasn't there in the late 90s, not the way it is today. It wasn't today like people that were online businesses and there was all kinds of internet stuff. That was all just brand new back then. So how was I going to get into the studio business? What am I going to do, buy a building and buy a studio? I barely know how to record, right? <laughs> there are no real good paying jobs in the studio world, at least at that time. So for me, and I was getting older again, I was in my late 20s. I wasn't right out of high school anymore. So to me, it was just to get in there to learn the craft and to take my mind off my miserable day job. And as I did that for a few years on and off and learning how to record, learning the craft of recording, not so much mixing, was really recording at that time, tracking microphone placements, setup, running a session as an assistant, those kinds of things. I really loved it more and more and more. And after a few years of that, um, again, the technology became more and more coming to the forefront of where you can buy, um, you know, a, a small little home studio rig and start recording yourself and even recording bands with multiple input interfaces and those kinds of things at an affordable price. Again, it, it existed back in the late 90s, but it was still very expensive and, it, you know, it wasn't easily to be done. But by five years later, by the mid-2000s, you know, 2003, 2004, 2005, that became something that was much more accessible where you can learn how to do that stuff. And so that's what I did. I had a spare bedroom in my condo. I started my first computer recording rig because when I was interning at the studio, there was still tape. Pro Tools was there, but they really didn't use it much. It was, it was really recording through a large format console through analog equipment onto tape. That's how it was done. At least that's how I learned how to do it. Um, but I bought myself my first DAW, which back in those days was Steinberg Cubase SX1, I think it was, on a cheap, you know, Dell PC computer in my spare bedroom with a pre-Sonus interface, an FP10 interface, which had eight inputs. That was my introduction to PreSonus, which I've gone on many years later to do a lot of work with. And they're great people. And so my introduction to them was the FP10 interface. And I was learning how to record at home using a drum machine, the Alesis drum machine, which, you know, today is laughable, the sound of the Alesis drum machine. But back in those days, that was cutting edge technology, boy, learning how to record with a drum machine, learning how to overdub guitar parts and those kinds of things and learning how to do the thing in a home studio environment. And as the years went on, and again, I don't know the exact, I don't remember the exact dates and years, and it doesn't matter, but as a few years went on, and again, I was still working in the corporate world, I was getting more and more tired of it, but it became, YouTube became more of a sensation, you know, 2007, 2008, YouTube started to become a big thing. You saw people on YouTube making videos on recording and production and those kinds of things, not like it is today, but it was there. And you started to realize, or I started to realize, that being able to do this at home on a much larger scale is very possible. It's obtainable. I started to understand the craft of recording. That's again, not so much the mixing end, but the recording end that I was getting good at it. I was the one that was recording all of my band's demos at that point. When we go out to a live gig, we had these, uh, these, uh, did the first digital Tascam digital eight track recorders that you can record your band live with a couple microphones in the room. I know it sounded like crap, but it was something. It was the first time you could actually affordably take a take a recorder into a club and record a live performance and then mix it down on the, on the little mixer. It was kind of cool. And so all that stuff was starting to come to fruition. And I started to realize that, hey, I see other people on YouTube and I see other people are starting to make money out of their homes running a studio. 
And I thought that would be something I would really like to do. And that's kind of when, I'd say like the early 2000s, mid-2000s, 2004-ish, 2005-ish, around that time, it was starting to become, well, this is this could become a reality. And now I started to set my sights on, that's what I wanted to do. But how do I do that? Okay, so by 2005, 2006 is when I met my now wife, fiance at the time. Now she's, I get married in 2006. In 2007, we buy our home together, our first home. And when we bought that house, we bought it specifically to make sure that we had a space where I could put in a full recording studio for band rehearsal and that kind of thing. So I wanted to have a basement that was either finished or unfinished. We bought an unfinished basement that had eight and a half foot ceilings. Total square footage was around 800 square feet, big open space that we can finish and we could put our studio down there and I can start recording my bands, recording our rehearsals. Again, the technology got better and better. And then I wanted to start learning how to mix and I wanted to start learning how to do this. And then I wanted to do that for other local bands just to make a couple of bucks on the side. That's how it started. And that started right around the 2007, 2008 mark. Got the studio built, finished the basement. It was kind of crude, but we got it done. Got my computer in there with my Cubase interface, with my FP10, my PreSonus interface, started recording and started learning that whole craft, how to record in the home studio environment, went out, um, you know, met a bunch of other local bands in the area because we were, you know, cl- you know, doing a lot of club gigs. So I'd meet a lot of musicians and told them about my setup. And again, at that time, there wasn't a lot of people doing it. And I said, hey, you don't have to go to the local studio and pay five or 600 bucks to have a demo done. Come to my studio at my house and I'll do it for a couple of hundred bucks. And that's how it started. And I thought I didn't do it with the, with the thinking of, oh, I'm going to quit my day job tomorrow and I'm going to start making this a full-time business. It's a long way from making a couple of hundred dollars, a, you know, a tracking session to making six sixty thousand plus dollars a year. <laughs> Got to do a lot of tracking sessions to replace my income at my business. Not to mention I had a pension plan or a 401k plan, excuse me, and benefits. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about a long road, but I thought, well, if I can make enough money just to support my habit of studio equipment and building out my studio and it would pay for itself, that would be enough. And I did that for four or five years. Every weekend I had bands in my house, every single weekend recording, then learning how to mix and learning how all that stuff would work and learning the whole craft of mixing and learning how to turn out good productions. And as the word got around my neighborhood and around my town and around my neighboring towns, I had bands in here nonstop. And I was making, you know, I forget what I was charging at that time, probably $200, $300 a session. I was doing a couple of sessions a weekend. So I was probably making five, $600 a weekend. You know, again, $500, $600 a weekend. You know, that's, you know, 2,500 bucks a month. Again, it's not 50, 60 grand a year. It's maybe 20 grand a year, 30 to whatever it works out to be. But it was something, it was like a part-time job. And because I became so much in demand for the recording aspect of it, I remember me and my new wife at the time said, you know, this is something that you might be able to really at one point replace your full-time job. Now, again, she had, we were married. She had a good job making good money. I had a good job making good money. Our daughter wasn't born yet until 2010. So we had a lot of disposable income, but we just bought this big house and uh, we have two new cars and you know, you know how it is, you know how life is. So it wasn't like I could just quit my job the next day and go from making let's say, for example, 65000 a year. I forget what I was making, but it was in that ballpark to making 20000 a year. We just bought a house with a mortgage. <laughs> I couldn't do that. But we knew and I knew that, that it was 
it was in reach and that it, it could be a reality that my skills were getting to the point where people wanted me to work on their stuff. I was getting better and better all the time. I loved it. And that there was some demand there that there could be a possibility. I didn't know if I could ever replace my income full time, but I knew that I could at least make a good part-time living. And so that's how it kind of started. Fast forward about four years later, and what ended up happening is the music business really changed. Again, I don't get the years completely right, but you know things like um, Napster and the music business changed, where you know people weren't buying music anymore. Local bands weren't didn't have the budget in my local area because I wasn't working with famous people. I was working with people that were weekend warriors like myself, and they didn't have a ton of money. So I would have to be tracking bands seven days a week and for me to make a decent living to, to, to quit my job. That just wasn't feasible. And I don't live, and like I said, I don't live in Nashville, LA, New York. I live in Connecticut. There's not a lot of people that are going to come here and spend a lot of money. There was only a certain amount of money I was going to be able to charge in a home studio environment at that time based on where my skill sets were that I wasn't going to be able to make 70,000 bucks a year. It just wasn't going to happen. So around 2013, 2014, now I've been doing this in my home in my home studio probably, what, six, seven years as part-time, and I was growing very tired of the corporate gig to the point where I left, a, left one company, went to another. The second company was even more miserable than the first. It wasn't just the company that I was in. It was the type of work I was doing. I needed to make a change. I needed to make a change, and I was where James is right now. <laughs> and I said, that's it. I got to make a change. I got to find a way. I got to do something different. I can't you know, can't, I can't just track bands seven days a week. Um, we were about to, you know, think about having a family and I didn't want to have bands here with a young, you know, a young baby here and, you know, security issues. There's all kinds of things you got to think about having a bunch of strangers in your house, which made my wife a little uneasy. And, you know, I was a little uneasy. I got a lot of expensive gear and a bunch of people, you know, how musicians could be, you know, a bunch of potheads and drunks and this and that. I, I didn't want any more of that. So, but if I let that go, how was I ever going to make money? We considered moving to a town where it was more music, you know, there was more music and more uh, of a demand for the music industry. Connecticut is not that. And then I met someone who, um, as I was, you know, working with these bands, a few of these bands were interested in the engineering side of it as well. And I actually, friends of mine, they would actually ask me to, you know, can I teach them how to do this? And that's what I started doing. And I never thought anything of it. I didn't consider myself an instructor or a teacher, um, but I taught a few people. And some of those people came back to me and said, you know, man, you're really good at this teaching. You're really good at explaining this and breaking this down. And, and you're really good at this. You ever considered maybe teaching or making some courses or some way to help other people? Because I'll bet you there's a big demand for that. Now, this is, again, when we're talking about 2014. Now, online is very, very active. You know, YouTube is huge and people are making passive income and selling online digital products, all that stuff started to come in right around the same time. So it was something that was around that was becoming more and more part of the mainstream. And the, more than one person said, you have a knack for this teaching thing, you really ought to consider it. I said, what am I going to teach? You know, who the hell cares what I have to say? <laughs> I'm not a famous mixing engineer, recording engineer, I'm just me. And they said, you know, you really ought to create something. And a few people talked to me about it. And I said, you know, what the hell I have to lose? I'll go ahead. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll do that. I was nobody. I had a YouTube channel I just started. I had 50 subscribers. I was nobody. I started to create some videos to get a few more subscribers. I made a mixing course was my first course because I thought mixing would be easier to teach than recording because it was all on the computer. I didn't have to have multiple cameras set up in the studio. And that's where the beginning of Mixing Made Easy came from, Mixing Made Easy Volume 1. 
It wasn't called Mixing Made Easy at the time. There was no home recording made easy at that point. I just created a course. I forget what the hell I called it. I think we called it Mixing. I think we did call it Mixing Easy or something like that. My wife came up with the Made Easy title. I think we might have called it Mixing Made Easy, but there was no volume one, volume two. There was nothing. It was just a course. And so I made that course. I put a little promo video on my YouTube channel. And I met some people along the way through my YouTube channel that were, you know, also into teaching and stuff. And they helped introduce me to some, uh, to their audiences. One of them was a uh, name of a fellow named Johnny Guy, but the home studio trainer, good friend of mine out of Chicago, Illinois, met him online as I was converting over from Cubase to Studio One. We developed a relationship. He had a small following. He did lots of live streaming, which I had no idea what that was. He basically introduced me to his audience. I had this Mixing Made Easy course. I didn't think anybody would even look at it, care about it, who's going to buy it. And I think I was selling it for 10 bucks, to be honest with you. And to my surprise, a lot of people bought it. I had a very crude, home-baked website where you had to use PayPal to buy the course, and tons of people bought it. I couldn't believe it. And that's kind of how I stumbled onto the education market. And what became a tracking studio really became less of a tracking studio for all the reasons I mentioned a few seconds ago. And I became into the education market. And once I realized that I had something and had a little knack for teaching people this stuff and making people understand it who had no experience at it, I started to consider making training courses and mixing Made Easy. Volume 1 was the first one, and that kind of snowballed into home recording Made Easy and so on and so forth. And you guys know the rest of the story. And that's how I started. So how this kind of relates to James is after about five years of that, from 2014 Oh, uh, no, actually, till, in about 2014, 2015 is when the Mixing Made Easy course really skyrocketed. And I realized that, wow, between what tracking I can do and by making more of these courses and getting into the education market, I could replace my salary. And that's when my wife and I started a plan where, because I had a spouse making a good salary as well, that I could go do this full time. And it would take me, I thought, maybe two or three years to replace my salary that I was currently making. And that was the plan. So it was a plan, okay? I had another I had another support system and my wife making good money. I wasn't starting from absolute scratch because I was tracking bands every weekend, making some money. And now I was starting to sell some courses. And although I was taking a major pay cut, we were able to afford it because my daughter wasn't born until 2010. So we had some time uh, to go ahead and to make all that happen. And so the whole transition, James, took me about four to five years of working part-time, working on the weekends, not really sure I was going to quit my job or how I was going to do that, to where I was able to make enough money where I didn't have to completely um, replace my, I didn't have to, I didn't completely replace my income from the time I jumped off the edge and went full-time, but because of my wife's salary and because I already had things kind of cooking in the background that I was making some money, I wasn't starting from absolute scratch we were able to make things happen. And now fast forward five years later, and now I'm making, you know, I'm making just as much money, if not more than what I was making full time. And so it all worked out. But that's kind of how my story, that's kind of the, the summary of it. There's a lot more detail. There's a lot of things that along the way I tried that didn't work. A lot of things that I did to try to grow this business as quickly as possible. Some things work, some things didn't work. And that's for another podcast. Okay, so just know that it took about five years. So to help answer James and give you some advice, I want to give you all 
five reasons why I think you ought to keep your day job and build up your side business before you jump in the deep end of the pool. Because if you think that leaving your day job and starting from scratch, James, even though you've been toying around and you may got your, you may got a couple of irons in the fire, so to speak, unless you are extremely lucky, you are not going to go from making no money in your studio to replacing a full-time income in the first, you know, in the first six months or even the first year. Now, again, I don't know your personal situation and you're, you know, you're 42 years old. I don't know if you're married. I don't know what your financial situation is. Maybe you have a, a spouse like I did that made a good income and you can afford to take a massive pay cut to, to do this experiment, to build up your business. That would be great. But if you don't, I want you to be very careful. I want you to be very realistic about what it's going to take to go from zero to making an acceptable salary. And again, for everybody, that's a little different. It's going to take time. It doesn't happen overnight unless you get extremely lucky. And that's a very a rarity. Assume that that's not going to happen. So I want to give you five reasons why you may want to build this up on the side and make sure that number one, you like this career. If this is what you want to do in your studio, number two, that you have the skill set ready to go, that people are actually going to pay you money. You're setting your question that you toyed or you've been toying around in the studio for years, but now you want it to go full time. Well, toying around in the studio and doing work for yourself and maybe some of your friends for free is way different than making money and putting food on the table. Again, that's obvious, right? So what I tell people is you should keep your day job until you can replace your salary or until you can have a full year minimum of consistent revenue coming in that's growing over the course of the year where you're starting to see that this business over time is scalable and that you're going to be able to make enough money to do what you need to do to support you and your family and to make sure that you're satisfied with the money that you're making. Okay, and that could take a year or two for some people. That could take five years. Like it took me about five years before I can go full time. And that might be different for you, James. Everybody's a little different. So don't be discouraged about your day job. I understand. Okay, you got to keep saying to yourself, we love our day jobs. Let me give you five reasons why you want to keep your day job before you just jump in the deep end of the pool. Number one, it takes all the pressure off you while you're trying to start a business. If you already have a full-time income and you don't quote unquote, I always do this every episode, air quotes, need to make money with your business right away because you have a full-time income and you're doing this on the side, it takes the pressure off. You can start slow. You can work at a pace that's comfortable for you. You don't have to make a bunch of silly decisions and you can do it right from the beginning and make sure this is something you want to do and make sure that there is a supply, there is a demand for the supply that you're going to provide, right? If there's no demand, doesn't matter how much you love it. If you, there's no money in it for you, then you can't, you know, you can't quit your day job, right? So that's number one. Number two, it gives you time, as I said a second ago, to do things right, to make sure that you're smart about the way you start a business. Again, we've been talking a lot about business over the last few episodes. Go back and check out some of the other things we talked about, gear upgrades and all that other stuff. There's a lot of good golden nuggets in there, but it takes time. It gives you the time to do things right. Make a business plan. Make sure you crunch the numbers. Make sure that you're going to, you know, that when you, once you quit that job, that you can support yourself and your family. Okay. You got to make sure you don't want to be under the pressure because you don't, you went from making full-time money to making no money. And now you got to do all kinds of crazy things. You're going to make all kinds of silly decisions. So it gives you time to make things right. Okay. It also allows you, tip number three, or the third reason is it also allows you to invest financially in your business. 
So in other words, it costs money to start a business. Say you need a computer, say you need new gear, you need some, you need, you need, you need stuff to start a business, right? Part of your business plan. Do you have a bunch of startup money? If you're working full time, it gives you time to take some money or any money that you might be making on the side in your studio business at first, and you can roll that money back into your business to make your business a better business. I did that for the first few years. Any money that I made on the weekends, I was working full time. I didn't need the money. So I invested that money in microphones, cables, microphone stands, computers, hardware, software, goes on and on and on, right? You all know the drill. So it gave me money to fund my studio. I didn't have to go into debt starting a studio business, okay? So having a day job allowed me to do that, okay? It also, tip number four, reason number four, it allows you to say no to taking on bad clients or bad work. What does that mean? Well, if you jump right off the, the ledge into the Jeep end of the pool and you need to start making money right away, you'll do anything to make a buck. You'll work with bad clients, you'll take bad business, you'll work with shitty bands that no matter how good your mix or your recording chops are, the band sucks so bad that your production doesn't sound good. You'll do anything to make a few bucks because you need to. That will hurt you as a brand and as a business long term. I always made it a point from the very beginning that I wanted to be very selective about the clients that I worked with. And I said no to many more clients than I said yes to in the beginning. Why? Because I, again, I was working full-time on the weekends. I was very selective. If the band was sloppy, band couldn't play, I didn't record them. Why does that? Because I don't want my recording to go out into the world with a band that can't play well. Because it's a bad reflection on you as an engineer and as a studio. Because no one's going to say, well, the band's just kind of sloppy. They're going to say, that recording kind of sounds like crap. It may not sound like crap. It may sonically sound great, but the band can't play. Right. And that's a bad mark. And that's going to be that can be looked bad upon you as a mixing engineer, especially if you're in or a recording engineer, especially if you're a brand new business. The work coming out of your studio ought to be the best it possibly can be. And a lot of that has to do with the musicianship and the clients. Again, if we're talking about recording and that's what it was for me. So I was very selective. I only worked with people I wanted to work with. I didn't need. And there's those air quotes again. <laughs> I didn't need to make money. Okay, so be selective. You don't need to take on bad work and bad clients because you already have a day job. Okay, makes it easier for you to make those decisions. Okay, and number five, last reason, and this is kind of obvious, it also creates security for you and your family. What does that mean? What if the studio business doesn't work out, James? How do you know that there is going to be a demand for your service, enough of demand to support you depending on where you're located and everything that we talked about earlier? You have a fallback plan, your day job. You may hate it. You may have to get another day job. I get it, but you have money coming in. You jump into the deep end of the pool and this business doesn't work out for one reason or another. And most businesses fail, by the way, right? More than half the online businesses that start fail. I don't know what the exact statistic is, but I think it was like 70 or 80%, <laughs> if I remember right. Again, this is going back a year or two. Most of the businesses don't work out. Working for yourself as many perks and as great as that is, is far different than working from somebody else and getting a guaranteed paycheck every week, okay? And if you don't have any experience in that, it could be a very rude awakening. And it also could put a lot of stress on you financially, put a lot of stress on you in your relationships with your family and your spouse and children if you have any. And it can make a very, what sounds like a great idea, working in your studio, working for yourself, being an entrepreneur, it can make it a very... Um, stressful, 
lifestyle because you don't expect it if you don't if you don't really realize what's involved. So that's the fifth reason. It creates security for you and your family. When you don't have financial stress in your in your you know in your relationship, you tend to do better, right? I say one of the number one reasons for people getting divorced, everyone thinks, oh, it's adultery. That's why people get divorced. No, you want to know what the number one uh, factor in a, in a divorce rate in the United States is? It has to do with finances and financial stress. Not having enough finances to support themselves, which creates all kinds of stress and problems in marriages, okay? You don't want to have that brought upon yourself in your relationship, especially if you don't have that now. Okay, so those are five reasons why we love our day jobs. Keep your day job until you can prove on paper. I mean, if there's no gray area, it's black and white. Either the money comes in or it doesn't. That you're seeing consistent income for a solid year. And over the course of the year, every month, every quarter, it's getting a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. And that you can see some light at the end of the tunnel. And that you've proven that you have a skill set and a service that people want to pay for. Okay, and we have more episodes on this podcast talking about those specifics, but I would not, James, or anyone else, just walk in next week and hand in your resignation until you are really sure and proven out that this is for you, being an entrepreneur is for you, having a home studio business in your area based on your skill set and what you like to do is something that you can actually make money at. Do it part-time, keep our day jobs, takes the pressure off of you. It gives you time to do things right. It lets you invest financially into your business to make sure you have everything you need to go into business so you don't start out your business in debt. It allows you to say no to bad clients and not take on bad work, and it creates security for you and your family. So I hope that helps, James, and I hope that helps anyone out that's listening. If you want to do more episodes like this topic, because again, I did a lot of broad strokes here because I don't want to keep this podcast. I don't want it to be two hours long. We could talk about more specific things inside of everything I said on future podcast episodes. Let me know by sending me an email and leaving uh, reviews and notes and comments and stuff. And if you're listening to this on YouTube in the comment section below, and I would love to do that for you. Okay. So I hope This episode was helpful to anyone who wants to quit their job and go into business full-time for themselves, whether it's a studio business or any other business. Those are the things that I would tell you to put a smile on your face. And every morning when you look in the mirror, say, we love our day job. I know I'm being sarcastic, but sometimes you have to tell yourself that to get yourself through the next day at work. And if that's what you have to do, trust me in the long run, it will pay off for you. Now, thank you so much for listening to this entire episode. Once again, I want to give you guys a couple of free things. First of all, I want to give you a discount coupon code. The coupon code is PODCAST30. You can take 30% off any one of my training courses at homerecordingmadeeasy.com. Just use that coupon at checkout, PODCAST30, 30% off any one of my training courses. And if you've never been to homerecordingmadeeasy.com, make sure you go there. I have five free mixing training courses. I want to give you absolutely free. It's right on the home page. There's a big orange button. You can't miss it. No cost to you. Five free courses just for joining and checking out homerecordingmadeeasy.com. And until next week podcast episode, thank you so much for joining me. I hope to see you guys all again next week. I've been Dave with homerecordingmadeeasy.com, and I will see you next Friday. Take care. Take care.